Hello, St. Louis, and welcome back to Word of Mouth, our evangelization podcast in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. This is our January 2018 episode, and I'm privileged to be with a young man, David Gosser, today with me. David is a senior at DeBerg High School, and it's great to be with him. Just a couple reminders before we get to hear David's awesome story and get to share his reflections on faith. Just want to remind all of our listeners, first off, Happy New Year to you, and just a reminder that we have our podcast available through many means in the Archdiocese here. So if you don't want to miss any of the episodes of Word of Mouth, which is the name of this podcast, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, Stitcher, or any other podcast app, and just search for the Archdiocese of St. Louis to find us there. And then once you've subscribed, make sure to share us and rate us, share us with your friends, and just help to get the word out there. And so this is called Word of Mouth. And so your part and your blessing for us is to share through your word of mouth just the beauty of this podcast and to constantly reach people for Jesus Christ and to share the good news and to share these awesome stories of individuals throughout our archdiocese who have generously shared their time and offer their insights and wisdom for us. And so, again, welcome, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Great, great. <laughs> it's good to be with you. So, David, as we begin with our listeners today, could you just share a little bit about yourself and where you're coming from and just kind of your upbringing? Like you said, I'm a senior over at Bishop DeBerg High School, kind of South City area. My family, we are part of St. Peter the Apostle Parish over in Kirkwood, and I have a big family, actually. There's eight kids in my family. I'm not going to list them all just to <laughs> save time, but uh, I'm the fourth out of them. Over at DeBerg, I do cross-country, track, involved in a lot of different things, National Honor Society, student ambassadors, campus ministry, things like that. And then I'm also a part of St. Louis Life Teen Youth Group. So uh, Awesome. It's homeschool to just put that out there because that... That brings a different perspective to sure. life. So. Excellent, excellent. Well, yeah, David, thanks for telling us a little bit about you. And uh, it was great to see you last week at the March for Life, too, yeah, in D.C. Yeah. So it was good to catch up with you then, and I'm glad we can share the time together today. Yeah, and so cool. just kind of in light of your background and upbringing, if we could transition a little bit into your personal faith journey, if you could share with our listeners just how you've developed faith throughout your life. I would say that for most of my like young life, up until about seventh grade, faith was kind of the thing where I didn't really choose it. I was kind of, I guess, forced to practice it in a way. Not, I mean, not really forced, but you know, that was something that was implemented in my life without my choice. Yeah, my parents, they raised me to be Catholic. We went to Mass every Sunday and many Saturdays, too, and my dad really kind of stressed the importance of that. And so it was always something that was kind of there, but... I never really had made that choice. Up until about seventh grade, I realized that that was something I was going to have to choose eventually because I wasn't always going to be living with my parents. I would say that around that time in my life, my sisters, they're two years older, they were in high school and they attended a retreat, Steubenville Conference, Mid-America, it's down at Missouri State. They came back from that retreat with this certain kind of zeal that I saw and I was very like in awe at what they had. I wanted it, you know, and I didn't have it. And so I would say, like, that kind of put that desire there to reach a new level either in faith or just in kind of happiness. And I think, you know, by the time I was getting to high school, I started joining youth groups like they were in. St. Mark's youth group down in Afton, that was the one that I initially started out with. That was kind of what put that constant in my life initially, at least. 
even though I would go there and just uh, hang out with friends initially and just play sports and eat food and stuff like that, there was that underlying desire to have some sort of faith life. And eventually that youth group, the associate pastor there, Father Eric Olson, he got transferred. And so the youth group kind of merged in with St. Louis Life Teen. That was the place where I finally found my first faith home, like serious faith home at least, about sophomore year, I'd say. And I think, you know, going there, I heard about all these different stories that people had. Started going on like these Luke 18 retreats, and I went to the March for Life with them and all these different things. And I think, you know, that witness was strong. And then I would also say about sophomore year, I met probably my best friend in the whole world, Joey Costa. He really tested me to be authentic to who I was because, you know, high school gets tough at times. It's not popular to be a Jesus freak, (laughs) per se. But he really challenged me to be who I really was on the inside, and I thank him for that. But that was probably the first actual serious Catholic friend that I ever made, and I don't think I would be who I am today without him. So he kind of led me down this path of, really like trying to figure out who Jesus wanted me to be, particularly in the area of vocations. You know, right from the bat, he, he ran cross country with me. And so we would go on these runs and he would tell me about his amazing associate pastor that he had, uh, Father Connor Sullivan, and how Father Sullivan made him want to be a priest. I was like, you want to be a priest? I had never met anyone in my life who had thought about going to seminary or you know, I had thought about becoming a priest. I had a few uncles who had been in seminary back when they were really young, but no one in my lifetime who had ever considered this. So it was really like inspiring for me. I had this person in my life who was trying to figure out their vocation. It made me realize, oh, well, maybe I have a vocation too. Mm-hmm. You know, even at that time, I was pretty educated on most religious things, but oddly, I didn't know where priests came from. I just never had crossed my mind. I think leading up to where I am today, you know, going on many seminary retreats, discerning that vocation, is, it's been a, something I've tried to like, be persistent with. And so always kind of like praying about that or going on different weekends, trying to discern that, I'd say that's kind of kept me close to Christ. I think led me down the path that I've, I find myself at now. So I guess you know, having those constants in my life of like youth groups or good friends, brotherhood, I think has really gotten me to where I am today. So, Beautiful. David, could you share with us maybe a personal encounter that you've had with our Lord and maybe a moment that really has struck you in your faith journey thus far in life? So I would say I remember probably the, I think the first Luke 18 I ever went on. I wasn't a retreat, and I was helping to lead it. We had a Corey team, which was freshmen and sophomores, and then a disciples team, which was juniors and seniors. And usually the Corey team didn't participate a whole ton of the retreat. You know, they helped out with the smaller things, but they didn't give talks or lead small groups. So I kind of had a minor role. It was back when I was a freshman. And I remember the Saturday night, they were getting ready for adoration. And the deacon there, who was, he was a transitional deacon. He's now a priest, but he asked me if I wanted to help serve benediction and exposition. And I was like, I've I've never served before in my life. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, it's okay, I'll, I'll teach you. And I just remember like just this kind of, I guess, almost like a fervor or a, like a love 
that he had. He didn't, you know, he wasn't like selfish or anyway. It was going to be difficult to try and do what he was supposed to be doing and teach me at the same time, but he did it. And I remember like there's something about that moment. I'm not 100% sure what it was, but I remember that moment. It was minor, but it made that Luke 18 for me special. So I don't know, like maybe one day I'll be in his position, you know, a deacon helping out younger kids or a priest helping out uh, kids maybe potentially discern their vocation like that. Excellent, so. excellent. Okay, and so now you're currently involved with St. Louis Life Team, correct? Uh, yes, I am. Awesome, very yeah. good, very good. Okay, we'll transition now from that personal faith journey just kind of into some things that you've actually already touched on with end goal, perhaps, or just kind of looking ahead to a mission and purpose and kind of your dreams in life. So if you could just talk a little bit more about yeah. that as you kind of continue to discern your vocation and, and your thoughts on what is your mission? What do you feel called to do in your life? Well, I know this sounds pretty intense, I guess, but I think every man's mission should be to die to themselves. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes that that can be in the sense of a marriage, putting themselves behind their spouse and their kids, or that can be in the sense of like being a priest or any other vocation. I think we have far too many selfish men out there, and I have my moments too, <laughs> but I think that's what we need to do to be holy men and to kind of transform society. We need to give of ourselves and put ourselves behind the needs of others. And that's what we're called to do as Catholics as men of Christ, that's just, that's what our mission is. So that's my personal mission, at least. Sure. And when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned kind of looking ahead just hypothetically about either vocation. And I again, it's still <laughs> up in the air for you a little bit as far yeah. as if you're discerning priesthood or married life. And just could you talk, I, I just think it's kind of a beautiful reflection that you have on what you would love to experience if you were married and what you would really like to experience if you were a priest. Yeah. So it's, I mean, there's, there's both sides of that there. I think if I was married, I would probably the thing I would really want to see in my life would be the birth of my first child. And then it, hopefully if I had daughters, the day that I walk them down the aisle to their future husband. So mm-hmm. I think those would just be two beautiful moments that would bring a tear to my eye. And I'm not much of a crier. So <laughs> yeah, that would those would be two experiences that would be very memorable. And then if I was a a priest, I think, distributing First Holy Communion to second graders or wh- whatever age mm-hmm. they are, maybe they're catechumens, uh, you know. Sure. So, uh, or bringing Jesus to people, literally, right, would be something that I would take very, very much happiness in. That mm-hmm. would make me a happy man. So. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. And finally, how would you define evangelization for an audience today that maybe? intimidated by that word. A lot of people hear the, the word evangelization and they think of people kind of yelling on the street or something, <laughs> or they have some sort of vision of people hitting other people with Bibles or whatever it might be. But I, how would you dis- define or describe evangelization for our audience today? Yeah, I think we have, that word usually means like people going out into the streets, maybe standing on a street corner and preaching about Jesus. But I see that in another way as well, and I know many other people do, but in actions. Because not everybody, personally myself, isn't. Not everyone is the best speaker or can figure out how to say the right words at the right times. But your actions, you have plenty of time to decide what actions you're going to make. I think your actions speak louder than your words. So somebody who, you know, loves others consistently before themselves, serves others. There's so many opportunities to serve others 
that's true evangelization. You know, we change hearts with actions more than hasty words. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hatred that goes around, and it's hard to change a heart by just saying the right words, but by showing someone love, you almost like melt that heart in mm-hmm. a sense, a stone cold heart. So, sure. Excellent. Okay. Well, we talked a little bit about your faith journey and your encounter with the Lord and that powerful experience that you had during the Luke 18 retreat of just kind of the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, yeah. which is such a defining characteristic of the Catholic faith. And it's something that's just essential to who we are as Catholics. And we are so, so blessed to be able to receive our Lord in the Eucharist every day and to adore him in the Eucharist and to pray in the silence and to gaze upon him and to receive his gaze back. And so for the catechesis today, I think we'll focus in on the Eucharist and we'll just offer some uh, wonderful words from our catechism and the saints as usual and from scripture. So on the Eucharist from paragraph 1323 of the catechism, At the Last Supper, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, our Savior instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood. This he did in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the ages until he should come again, and so to entrust to his beloved spouse, the Church, a memorial of his death and resurrection, a sacrament of love, a sign of unity, a bond of charity, a paschal banquet in which Christ is consumed, the mind is filled with grace, and a pledge of future glory is given to us. And I think that that paragraph from the Catechism sums up so well what the Eucharist is and what it means to us. And so a lot of that comes from Sacrosanctum Concilium, paragraph 47 as well. And so a lot of that is from Vatican Council II's teachings on the sacred liturgy. And so that is just so powerful, such a powerful paragraph for us to just consider just the fruits of the Eucharist and what it is as a sacrament of love, a sign of unity, a bond of charity for us. And so we're filled with grace through it, and it reminds us of the future glory that awaits us in heaven. And on a similar note from Lumen Gentium 11, something that we hear very often is that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. And so all the other sacraments and all ecclesiastical ministries and works of our apostolates and ministries are bound up with the Eucharist and oriented toward it. And so it is in the Blessed Eucharist that we experience the whole spiritual good of the Church, namely Christ himself, who is our Paschal sacrifice. And so in the Eucharist, we unite ourselves with the heavenly liturgy, with the angels and saints, and anticipate the eternal life that Christ has promised to us when God will be all in all. And so as we experience the Eucharist here on earth, as Mass is offered every day in several Catholic churches throughout the world, we have the privilege to experience Christ, but also remember what awaits us in heaven and what the heavenly liturgy is like as well to an extent. So there are many names for the Eucharist that we hear, and these are just some of them that the Catechism provides for us. So it's also known as the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread, the Eucharistic assembly, the memorial of the Lord's passion and resurrection, the holy sacrifice, because it makes present the one sacrifice of Christ the Savior and also includes the Church's offering, which is our sacrifice. We also call the Eucharist the Holy and Divine Liturgy, or Holy Communion, Holy Mass, 
or the sending forth of the faithful so that they may fulfill God's will in their daily lives. And so the Latin word misa has this meaning of sending forth on missio. And so as we are sent forth each liturgy, we are sent to proclaim the gospel and to evangelize as this whole podcast is about. So our task of evangelization, which is so much propelled by our reception of the Holy Eucharist and our adoration of it. And so that's the blessing that we have as Catholics to receive this Eucharist and then to make Jesus present in the world as well through our lives and our witnesses, as David was talking about. And so just a couple practical thoughts on the Eucharist and why bread and wine are used for the Eucharist. In the Old Covenant, bread and wine were offered in sacrifice among the first fruits of the earth as a sign of grateful acknowledgement to the Creator. And we read about this in even the, as early as the book of Genesis in the, the offering of the high priest Melchizedek, and he came offering bread and wine. And so these gifts also received a new significance in the context of the Exodus because the unleavened bread that Israel eats every year at Passover commemorates the haste of the departure that liberated them from Egypt. And so the remembrance of the manna in the desert as well always recalls to Israel that they live by the bread of the word of God. And so their daily bread is the fruit of the promised land and a pledge of God's faithfulness to his promises. And then secondly, the cup of blessing at the end of the Jewish Passover meal adds to the festive joy of wine an eschatological dimension. So that's a big fancy Greek word for the end times. And so what awaits us in the end times. And so this messianic expectation of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And so I know that's high and mighty language, but so that's where we encounter the, the significance of the bread and wine as early as the Old Testament and what it means in the context of the Jewish Passover meal. And so when Jesus instituted the Eucharist, he gave a new and definitive meaning to these two instances of matter. And so the bread and wine, and so the blessing of the bread and the cup. And so from paragraph 1340 of the Catechism, By celebrating the Last Supper with his apostles in the course of the Passover meal, Jesus gave the Jewish Passover its definitive meaning. And so his passing over to the Father by his death and resurrection, this new Passover symbolized and is anticipated in the Supper and celebrated in the Eucharist. And so, again, this fulfills the Jewish Passover and also anticipates our final Passover as the Church into the glory of the Kingdom of Heaven and how beautiful that is. And then finally, from 1365 in the Catechism, because the Eucharist is the memorial of Christ's Passover, it is also a sacrifice. So the sacrificial character of the Eucharist is shown to us in the very words of institution that the priest says at every Mass. And so he says, this is my body which is given for you, and this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so in the Eucharist, Christ gives us the very body that he gave up for us on the cross and the very blood which he poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. And so the Eucharist represents, and so it makes present again, the same sacrifice of the cross because it is its memorial and because it applies its fruit. But just to distinguish again that it is the same sacrifice, but it is not a bloody sacrifice. And so this is Again, just little contrast. So the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice, and the victim is one and the same, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so offered by the priest today in Holy Mass, this is Jesus offering himself to us on the cross, and just the manner that the offering takes place is different. And so this divine sacrifice celebrated in the Mass, it's the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross, but is offered in an unbloody manner during the holy sacrifice of the Mass.
And so the Eucharist is the great sacrifice of the Church. And so in it, the sacrifice of Christ becomes a sacrifice of us, too, as members of his body. And so we bring our prayers and our intentions and our personal sacrifices to the altar every time when we gather for the Eucharist. And so our lives and our praise, our sufferings, prayers, and works are all brought and united with those of Christ and with his total total offering at Calvary. And so they acquire great value when we offer these things to the Lord in union with him. In the sacrament of the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, together with the soul and divinity of him, are also present. And so the whole Christ is truly, really, and substantially contained in the Eucharistic species. So as problems arose with the teaching on the Eucharist with the Protestant Reformation, the Council of Trent had to to clarify a lot of things for us as Catholics to remind us what the Church truly taught about the Eucharist. And so from the Council of Trent... Because Christ our Redeemer said that it was truly his body that he was offering under the species of bread, it has always been the conviction of the Church of God, and this Holy Council now declares again that by the consecration of the bread and wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord, and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of Christ's blood. So this change the Holy Catholic Church has fittingly and properly called transubstantiation. So that's a big word for us. As the substance of the bread and wine change into different substances as the body and blood of Jesus Christ and a great mystery of our faith that we can only know through faith. And then finally from the Holy Father, John Paul II, he wrote that the church and the world have a great need for Eucharistic worship today. Jesus awaits us in this sacrament of love And so let us not refuse the time to go to meet him in adoration and in contemplation full of faith and open to making amends for the serious offenses and crimes of the world. And so let our adoration never cease. And praise be to God for the many Eucharistic adoration chapels that we have here in the city of St. Louis where people can go 24-7 and just adore our Lord and pray with him. And so Jesus reminded us in John 6, and this is kind of how we'll wrap up before we just conclude with the graces of Holy Communion. But Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And that's from John chapter 6, just the bread of life discourse, which provides tons of teachings and insights on the Holy Eucharist for our purposes. And then finally, just as we reflect on the Eucharist, we we can consider the fruits that we are able to receive when we receive the sacrament of the Eucharist in a state of grace. So there's four main fruits that we can receive from the Holy Eucharist. First, it augments our union with Christ. And so it gives us an intimate union with Christ Jesus and preserves, increases, and renews the life of grace that we have received at baptism. Secondly, Holy Communion separates us from sin, and it cleanses us from past venial sins and preserves us from future mortal sins. It also strengthens our charity, which tends to be weakened in our daily life, and this living charity wipes away our venial sins. Thirdly, the Eucharist is not ordered to the forgiveness of mortal sins, which is proper to the sacrament of reconciliation, but it is properly the sacrament of those who are in full communion with the church. And then finally, Holy Communion gives us great unity as the mystical body of Christ. And so the Eucharist makes us the church. We all partake of the one loaf, as Paul writes. Those who receive the Eucharist are united more closely to Christ, and through it Christ unites all of us to the faithful in one body, the church. And so communion renews us, it strengthens us, and deepens our incorporation into the church, which is already achieved by the sacrament of baptism. It also commits us to the poor. And so as we receive the body and blood of Christ, we can recognize Christ 
and the poorest that we encounter, which are also his brothers, as he tells us in Matthew 25. And so as we just conclude our reflections on the Eucharist as a sacrifice that's offered in reparation for the sins of the living and the dead, it gives us these great spiritual and temporal benefits from God. And so again, just a reminder that any of us who desire to receive Christ in the Eucharist and receive these great graces that are available to us is often necessary for us to go to the sacrament of reconciliation to be forgiven of any mortal sins that are on our conscience. And so we must not receive communion without having received absolution in the sacrament of penance before being able to receive the great graces that flow from the blessed sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. And so David, as we wrap up with your wonderful story just kind of on your faith journey so far, and you're very young still, so a lot of great blessings to come in your life. What is some practical advice that you have as we wrap up uh, for people that are seeking to be better evangelists in the world today? So I would say, one, pray constantly for the wisdom to kind of like seize those moments where you can't evangelize. So you, you don't want to say you know the wrong thing or say something that could offend them you know that that's tough not to do so pray to god that he will bless you with the right words to say you know i was i heard a story one time about this man i think it was a, either a brother or a priest who went over to china he didn't know the language there but they clearly weren't living in accord with the teachings of the church and he must have been a very holy man because god allowed him to speak in tongues and kind of convert these people, give them what the love and the knowledge that they needed, start living as Christ would. So you have those opportunities, but you definitely need to be praying that God will help you seize those and will give you the right words to you know, take advantage of those times. And then second, don't focus on winning those arguments or those conflict because it's not about winning because that doesn't win souls. You know, you have maybe one chance, and if you're trying to win, that's, that's selfish. And it, the other person, it's not really a win because they end up leaving angry. You need to meet some sort of compromise somewhere in the middle where you can have polite conversation or just a civilized conversation. That's what will change hearts. And just showing them that love and that kindness is key. And I would say last just be courageous. You know, it's like I said, it's not popular to be a Jesus freak in this time, but like Jesus says in the Gospels, and I'm paraphrasing this, but those who stood up for me, I'll stand up for them in front of their Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. So being courageous and not being afraid of what others will think of you or what could happen, that's definitely something that you need. So taking advantage of those three things, doing those three things will definitely help you evangelize better. Great. Thank you so much, David. I just want to give a couple of shout outs that you mentioned just to get the word out to more people. So I want to give a shout out to Lauren Sharmer at St. Louis Life Teen. Also a shout out to Joey Costa and Matt Costa and all those that were on the March for Life last weekend. It was just great to be 
with all of you and just continue to listen to the podcast. Again, this is Word of Mouth, and today's guest is David Gosser, and I'm the host, Michael Horn. And so I just want to also celebrate and remind our listeners that this has been a full year now that we've been doing this podcast. And so we're always open to any ideas that you might have, or if you like to contact me about being a guest, that would be fantastic as well. We're always looking for different stories and people to kind of share their faith journeys with our St. Louis audience. So that's going to wrap up our episode today. And thanks, David. We'll see you next time. God bless you.